Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so very much for joining us. Let me begin with a shout-out to those of you who are watching on various social media platforms from across the country and across the world. Thank you a thousand times for joining us today. This is the day that we're bringing to an end our Back to Basics series. I'm super excited about this message that I'm about to teach. But also, secondly, rather, I want to give a shout-out to all of our folk gathered in San Jose. Make some noise in San Jose, guys. Praise the Lord. We are celebrating our second-year anniversary today, second-year anniversary of being a ministry and a community, NBCC community, in the San Jose area. And after this worship gathering, uh, we're going to uh, all gather at the Grand Elementary School between 1 and 4 p.m. to have a community fun day. Hey, guys, I'm going to show up. I want to hang out with you guys. Anybody watching from across the Bay Area, come on down and enjoy and be a part of our celebration and our fun. Now, as I said, this will be the last message of our Back to Basic series. Whatever you do, make sure you check out last week's message by Pastor Tilden as he helped us to grapple with why in the world would anybody believe in the church in a day like today, given all of the stuff that we've heard and experienced. Please check out that message. Incredibly important. Now, we're going to begin with the Apostle Creed, which is where we start every week. Uh, oldest creed that the uh, Christian church across the world has. Uh, we have the whole creed on our website. I'm going to summarize it here today because I want to get to a particular part of it. Here's what it says. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And here's the section we're going to focus on. He will come again. He will come again. He will come. Say it with me. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. This speaks of the second coming of Jesus. Can you just simply say out loud, just say, the king is coming. Praise God. All right, let's look at our passages for the day. Revelations 21, the first couple of verses, Revelations 22 and verse 20. Here's what the writer says. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And then verse 20 of the, previous, of the next chapter. He who is a faithful witness to all these things says, this is Jesus now speaking, yes, I'm coming soon. And the writer of Revelation, whose name is John, responds with these words, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Oh, Lord, bless this teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back in World War II, uh, March 11, 1942, President FDR gave an order to uh, General Douglas MacArthur uh, to withdraw all of the American forces from the Philippine Islands because uh, the military forces of Japan had had uh, come upon the island and was about to take the island, and America was in danger of being captive. Before General Douglas MacArthur left, he said these three words. They became famous. I shall return. Almost two years later, October 20th, 1944, General Douglas MacArthur stormed the beaches of the Philippine Islands along with Allied forces and retook the Philippines and routed the captives 
liberated those who had been oppressed. And at that moment, he would say these words, I have returned by the grace of Almighty God. Our forces stand once again on Philippine soil. Ends the quote. There's another occasion that takes place. It's recorded by the book of Acts, chapter 1. Jesus, just before his ascension, you know the creed talks about he ascends uh, back to heaven. He says to his disciples, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power to be Jesus' witness all across the world. And then he ascended. And as his disciples was watching him ascend, two angels showed up standing on both of their sides. And the angel said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Guys, can I just tell you that this is the best news ever. Oh, my gosh, this is celebrating materials. This is a shouting moment. The king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. Just like when General MacArthur uh, retook the Philippine Islands and walked again uh, as a liberating force in the islands, Jesus will once again come and walk upon the earth as the victor of all, the keeper of all victories. What a thought. The king of kings and lords of lords shall return to the earth. What a thought. He who is Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end and the end of beginning and the ending, will walk upon the face of the earth as the one of great victory. He's not just simply a part of a history that has passed, Jesus, that is. No, no, no. He is a part of an approaching future. So it is a grand and great announcement to announce to you today that the King is coming, that Jesus is returning. Every eye shall see him. Jesus is returning. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. The king is coming. Somebody shout, the king is coming. You know, the word that is often associated in Scripture with the coming of Jesus in the Greek is the word parousia. It simply translates to mean presence or coming. Sometimes it suggests the appearing. It's most often associated in its historical context with an emperor or a king making his procession into a city. It is a royal visitation or a, a, a royal arrival. This is where we get the notion of the king coming. Why would I refer to Jesus emphasizing this notion of the king? It is because the writer of John declares to us that that is his ultimate name. Come on now. King of kings, king of all kings, lord of all lords. It speaks of his authority. You know, the person who writes the book of Revelation is also the person who writes the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus comes onto the scene in chapter 1 as the Lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world, the Passover Lamb. But here in Revelations, uh, that one who came as a Lamb will return as the Lion of Judah. This royal picture of one with grand and great authority. Somebody shout, the king. This means that when Jesus comes, he comes with all authority. Authority over all powers and dominions and governments and dictators. 
and totalitarian rulers and presidents. Come on now. Uh, uh, the text says, the Bible teaches us that all things will be placed under his feet. Full authority, total authority. You will not need a vote of Congress or the Parliament to do anything. Full authority, total authority, guys. He doesn't have to run an election and win the popular vote. He is the one in charge. King of kings and lords of lords. Guys, this is such great news for me. And let me just tell you, if I didn't have this, this, if this awareness that the king is coming, that Jesus is returning, uh, my, my knowledge of history would mean that at this particular point, I would be cynical. I would be despairing. I'd be filled with hopelessness. I mean, just check it out. If you read across history, you'll discover that with the, with the evolution and rise of humanity, we are more educated than we've ever been in the history of the world. And yet we're more wicked, more powerful, more wealthy, and yet more sinful and more wicked. We discovered the hydrogen and atoms. We now know how to use them to power cities for extraordinary amounts of time. But what do we do? We took them and transformed them into bombs that threatened the very existence of the world. AI has come onto the scene with a lot of other technological advancement, but how do we use it? We take AI and computer technology, and we sit in our living room, some of us, and we take and learn how to make guns with no markings so that we can kill innocent people. My goodness. Look at the toxicity in our government. So you think about the rise of global warming and hurricanes and all of that kind of disasters. And, and as we look at the meanness of people that seems to be exhilarating, it is enough to leave one full of despair. But then comes the grand announcement of Scripture the king is coming. Jesus is returning. He loves us too much to leave us, uh, to leave humanity in our own hands. Come on. He died to redeem us and to save us. Surely he would not allow us to destroy ourselves. And might I say that the challenge is not that we're not smart enough. The challenge for humanity is the sinfulness and the wickedness of our hearts. But do not despair. The king is coming. Somebody shout, the king is coming. Oh, this is fantastic good news. Number one, because when the king comes, the king will come to set all things right. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalms 98. He says this, shout to the Lord the entire earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the king. For he's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. This is suggested when Jesus comes, he will bring with him divine accountability for our lives. Ultimate divine accountability. That means that when Jesus comes, no longer do we have to worry about broken court systems. Come on, messing up justice. No longer do we have to worry about racial or other prejudices stealing from us. Uh, the moments of justice and rightness. You know, when I was a young adult going through school, college, and reading and learning about how the slave owners and the, and the uh, slave overseers 
brutalized African-Americans, maimed them, raped us, lynched us to trees and burned, all that stuff. And then how they would live to 85, 90, 95, die of natural causes. It's as though they just got away scot, clean, free. But they didn't. You know why? Because the king is coming. And when Jesus comes, he brings with him ultimate justice. Y'all ain't listening. Uh, the folk who perpetrate urban violence, these people who are moving around, killing tons of people all over the place, then they turn around and kill themselves, thinking that somehow they've escaped the accountability. Oh, no. No, divine accountability comes with Jesus, and the king is coming. For every one of you who are listening to me, either across the country, across the world, are sitting in our San Jose campus, and you feel that justice has passed you by. You perhaps have been a victim of war crimes, of sex kidnapping, or trafficking, or uh, abuse, or misuse in some way that I haven't named, but you feel like you have been forgotten and run over and left behind by justice itself. My announcement to you, oh no, the king is coming. This is the ultimate meaning of the, what Dr. King used to say, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, every single one of us, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in this body, whether good or evil. Guys, I find this to be extraordinary, fabulous, wonderful news. But I hear you listening to me say, well, it's wonderful news, but before the judgment seat, oh, that's kind of scary sounding. Well, not if the judge is your lawyer. If you put your faith in Jesus and, and, and have trusted him with your life, come on now. Uh, here's what Paul, the same one who writes that we must all appear before the judgment seat, he writes in Romans chapter 8, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, we must be held accountable for what we have done in this body, but the penalty, come on now, Jesus has handled the penalty. Then, so the good news is that with the coming of Jesus, there is ultimate accountability. And then I like this passage that we just read a few moments ago. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea also was gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down. Notice that language, coming down from God, out of heaven, out of heaven, out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. There are two insights that I want to make with this uh, teaching today, with this particular passage. The first is, notice the new heaven and the new earth. First time we see this combination of words is in Genesis chapter 1 when it talks about, uh, and God creates the heaven and the earth. It really denotes all of creation. So here when we read about the new heaven and new earth, what we're talking about is transformed creation. Fabulous, transform creation. And here's the distinction between the two. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates the extraordinary thing that we now call creation out of nothing. But here in Revelation, God creates the new heaven and the new earth. Watch this. Out of the old. Ah, the old. That which 
some people think are going to burn up and disappear. Oh, no, 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 no. He creates out of the old. Oh, my goodness. Uh, listen to this. Uh, this is insight I want you to share with you. You know, thinking about slavery, back in the day, the slave owners, they would take a hog and they would take the best part of the hog and then they would throw out as waste the parts they didn't think was meaningful. They thought it was, was, was worthy of wasting. They would throw out the, the head of the hog. The African-American slaves would take the head of the hog and turn it into hog head cheese. They'd throw out the feet of the hog. African-Americans would take the thrown away feet. Oh, y'all ain't listening. Turn it into pig feet. they throw out the, the intestinal parts of the hog. And the African-Americans who are not allowed to take the, 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 the most choice part would take the intestinal parts of the hog and turn it into chitlins. And this is a remarkable thing, isn't it? That these remarkable, ingenious African-Americans would take that which had been wasted, that which had been, in a sense, thrown away, and when they finished with it, they would transform it into a world-class cuisine called soul food. <laughs> Hog-head cheese and chitlins and pig feet and some turnip greens and cornbread. Come on. The, the, the new that was made out of the wasted, oh, oh, y'all, they listed. Here is the good news. Come on now. That, 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 that the new creation, this, the new world, the fresh, new, uh, redemptive moment in the life of history, come on now, comes out of the old. What is its implications for your life? For those of you who feel like your, your, your efforts are wasted, as you work to strengthen and build your family and raise your kids. For those of you who feel like your efforts are wasted as you seek to try to bring equity and justice to the world around you. Come on, for those of you who feel like your work is wasted, your efforts is wasted, this text teaches us that you have eternal, that there is eternal impact for our living because what feels wasted, come on now, is the old that will become a part of a redeemed new. Nothing is wasted in God's kingdom work. Somebody say amen. <laughs> and so when I think about the fact that Jesus brings with him divine accountability, ultimate divine accountability, <clears throat> and that he takes the old and makes the new out of it. It means that your choices, your decisions, my choices, my decisions, our sacrifices, they all have eternal significance. Every single one of them. And then I like this other part. Coming down from God. Did you notice the text where it says that, that, that he said he saw the new Jerusalem, the holy city, coming down from God, coming down, God bringing it down out of heaven onto the earth with the, the notion that the earth and that holy city becomes the dwelling place, oh y'all, they listed, for God's people. Notice the text did not say that there were, that he saw souls floating up to heaven. In this precious piece of writing, we discover what God has planned all along. 
God's plan all along is to, is to evade earth with heaven. You know, in Ephesians, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul talks to the people there about being citizens of heaven. They would have recognized that language really uh, powerfully because Philippi was a Roman colony. Many of the folk who lived in Philippi were Roman citizens, citizens of Rome. Now, if you were a Roman citizen, you were not dreaming of going back to live in Rome. As a matter of fact, the reason why the Romans would uh, plant uh, and build Roman colonies was not because they wanted more people to come back to Rome, but because they were trying to extend the Roman culture across the world. And what we see in this wonderful passage as this new Jerusalem comes out of heaven down to the earth, we see the ultimate fulfillment of the, of the heart of God that heaven, y'all ain't listening, evades earth. And that is the point when those of us, when we become Jesus followers, we are supposed to be the instruments through which heaven, come on, drips into life all around us, that heaven evades the earth, that heaven evades, uh, uh, invades rather our family, that heaven comes into our jobs, that heaven comes into our circumstances through us. Don't you remember the prayer? Come on. Thy kingdom come, thy rule, thy authority come. Let it be done on earth as it is in you got it in heaven. This is a wonderful teaching here that in this new creation, this new world, come on now, that God is now in our space and humanity, we are now in God's space. The sea has disappeared. There's no separation between God's space, heaven, and our space, earth. Oh, it's all intertwined. Come on now. Look at Revelations 21.3. Here's what he says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, look, God's dwelling place is what? Now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's the ultimate goal is that heaven comes to earth. That the people of God is a part of a new creation, new futures. Come on, new dreams, new adventures as heaven comes to earth. And so the first exciting thing about the announcement that the king is coming is that the king comes to set all things right. The second exciting thing about the king coming is that the king comes to make all things new. Listen to what John writes here. That's one of my favorite passages, Revelation 21.4. He says that when the king comes, <laughs> in this notion of this new creation, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, a mourning, a crying, a pain for the old order of things. All of the things that led to that will, has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, this is Jesus, says these words, I'm making everything new. What a powerful insight. Listen, let me just go. I, I like this passage. He, Jesus, will wipe every tear from their eyes. Can you say every tear? Now, you got to qualify this notion of every tear. What he's really meaning is he will wipe every tear 
that is defined by mourning and pain and death. But not those tears that reflect joy. <laughs> no, when you and I reunite with our loved ones on the other side in this new creation, we can cry tears of joy. He won't wipe those away. <laughs> when we begin to celebrate the death thought it had us, but now we are liberated and set free like MacArthur set the folk on the Philippine Islands free. Jesus has set us free. We can cry tears of joy in that moment. He won't wipe those tears away. Then as we think about how he makes all things new, here's a quick insight. It means that our satisfactions, that he brings satisfaction for our deepest longings. Wow. Notice the passage here. I love this passage. He said to me, Jesus talking to the writer John, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost. Listen, I'm going to give you free water. That's what he's saying. It's not going to cost you anything. It is going to be a cost to Jesus, but it's not going to cost you. It's going to be free water. Watch this. That springs, of, that springs of the water of life. Wow. I think it was Pastor Tim Keller who said this, that when Adam and Eve shattered their relationship with God in that initial sin moment, they broke every other relationship that they had. They shattered their relationship with themselves, and suddenly they were full of shame and guilt and hiding. They shattered their relationships with each other, and they turned on one another. And essentially, uh, each of them said to God, you can kill the other. Later, jealousy would come into play and control and manipulation. They shattered their relationship with uh, the physical world. They became frightened and disconnected. We repeat those cycles every day. We shout our relationship with God, which at the end of the day has implications for every other single relationship that we have. And you know, that's the world that we were born in. Those are the homes that we were born in, the communities that we were born in. And as a result of that being born in a broken life, every single one of us has some deep longings. Some of us deeply long to be loved. Others deeply long to be valued. Others deeply long to be seen. Others deeply long to have that family that is a wonderful, loving family. And still, among some of us, we deeply long to have healthy bodies and healthy minds that will not decay. Jesus promises that he will satisfy that thirst. Now, in order to really get this, you got to kind of know that John, who writes Revelation, is the one who writes the Gospel of John. you got to watch how he works this theme about Jesus who satisfies our deepest longing and how he, wove, how he deals, works it into the whole notion of water. You know, Jesus shows up at a wedding in chapter 2 of the Gospel of John. They run out of wine. There's a deep longing for wine. Jesus takes water and turns it into wine, meets that deep longing. In chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born from above. You must be born again. Your heart and mind has to be transformed uh, with the spirit and with the water. Reminding Nicodemus that the salvation that comes through Jesus quenches our greatest thirst and longing. In chapter 4, Jesus shows up in the Samaritan territory. 
sits on the well, and a woman comes out. She'd been married four times. The person she's with now is not her husband. She walks out with a deep longing. Jesus strikes up a conversation. May I have a drink of water? He says, she says, I don't know you. He says, you're right. If you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink of water, and I would satisfy your deepest longing. The next chapter over, we see that there's a fellow sitting by a pool for 38 years, and, 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 and the Scripture tells us that, the, that once a year, an angel would come and trouble the water, and the first one who would step in would have their deepest longing fulfilled. They would be healed. But for 38 years, someone would always beat him there. But Jesus comes and says, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to? He says, I've got a deep longing that I can't quench. And Jesus says, I'm the answer to that unquenchable longing. Somebody listening to me sitting in the seats at San Jose, you've come with an unquenchable thirst. Jesus says, I'm the source. Listen, chapter 7 of John, Jesus stands up in the, city, in the middle of the city of Jerusalem and he says, in the midst of the feast, anyone who is thirsty, let him or her come to me and out of your bellies will flow livers, rivers of living water. By that he spoke of the Spirit, a reminder that the Holy Spirit is a foretaste of the work of Jesus to satisfy our deepest longing. And then Jesus shows up on a Roman cross, and in one moment in John we hear him say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you looked away from me? And now I feel what uh, Tim Keller calls, come on now, unmerited hopelessness. And, and to, to illustrate it, we hear Jesus cry out, I thirst, I thirst. And in that sense, he takes your place in my place to declare the loneliness and the longing that seemingly is unfulfilled. I like Keller says it this way, that he, he inherits a, a, a thirst and a longing. Come on now, that is unmerited so that through his death he can facilitate an experience for you and for me that we can have our longings satisfied. <sighs> that Jesus endures hopelessness on the cross so that you and I will always have All of that is wrapped up in the fact that the king is coming. Did I mention that? That Jesus is coming again. Did you hear that? Come on now. <laughs> Let me wrap this up by saying this. So I talked about the crucifixion where he facilitates through his death on the Roman cross that pays the price for our sins to break us from uh, all of the shame and guilt. Come on now. Then comes resurrection. And here's the final point that I want you to see. Jesus, through his resurrection, is the proof and the is the proof and the first proof, the proof and the first fruit of what's to come. He's the fruit and the first proof and the first fruit of a new creation, of a new heaven, of a new earth, and new bodies. Come on now, that the old bodies have become eternal, glorious bodies. He is the first. Here's what first Corinthians Paul writes in first Corinthians. He underscores this, guys. Come on, it's all tied that will be revealed in his second coming. Here's what, here's what Paul writes here. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, resurrection, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep or died. 
the word in that text, first fruit, can also be translated guarantee. Christ has been raised from the dead as the guarantee for all who have fallen asleep, who have died. The word that is translated guaranteed can also be translated Christ is the beginning of a great we lived out an experience in the new creation, a new reality that's coming. My goodness. Can somebody just say, praise God, the king is coming. Don't give in to despair. The king is coming. Don't, don't allow the pressure to dominate. The king is coming. Oh, with this good news, we get to live with purpose. Our lives and this, our lives, our decisions, our choices, our efforts. That they all have eternal meaning and consequence. So don't get weary in your well-doing with this good news that the king is coming, that Jesus is returning. We would dare to suffer, but we suffer with hope. We know that this is an extraordinary hope because the people to whom John is writing the book of the letter of Revelation to, they are undergoing widespread persecution by, uh, by an emperor. And they're being crucified by the hundreds. They're being thrown to lions. But the record says that as they, they're being set on fire in the arenas, but as they are being killed and slain, they are singing the hymns of the church. They are forgiving those who are killing them because, because they have a hope that is shaped by the new creation. Come on now, that comes with the coming of the king. <laughs> and one theologian said these words, that the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the church. The church kept exploding and multiplying because people couldn't shake how these people were dying with such poise and such power and such confidence and such hope. And that is the hope that they wanted. And that is the hope that helps us to work through the suffering that shows up in our lives, whether it's cancer, whether it's divorce, or whether it's financial despair. Listen, here's what Paul says about our hope. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed when the king comes again. Oh, good God Almighty. And because he's coming, we get to die in expectation. You know, Paul writes these words, when this earthly tent is taken down, that is, when we die, we have another home, not made by hands, a body eternal in the heavens. We get to die with a great expectation. And finally, we dare to rise in glory. You know, the apostle Paul was facing getting his head chopped off by Nero, and he writes in his final letter this notion of Death of, with great expectation, knowing that he will rise in glory, crowned with the victory of Jesus. Here's what he writes. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course that was laid out for me. Now I know that there is a crown, a victor crown. Come on, that when I, when I cross the finish line of my race, there's a 
crown of victory that will be placed upon my head as I enter that new creation where he who is, come on now, is the king of kings and the lords of lords will sit on the throne and justice will prevail through the world. Come on. And not just for me only, Paul writes, but for everybody who longs for his Parousia, his appearance. Come on now. His coming. Oh, there it is right there. Praise be the God. Oh, let me finish this passage the way we got started. Jesus speaks to the one who's writing. Jesus dictates to John who's writing the letter of Revelation. Here's what Jesus says, and John records it. He who is faithful witness to all these things says this. Jesus says these words. Yes, I'm coming soon. And John says to that, amen, I agree. That word means I agree. Amen, amen, I agree, I agree. And then he begins to pray the prayer that you and I should pray in our toughest moments. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And oh, believe the good news. That prayer will be answered. The king is coming. Jesus is coming. Again, what hope, what joy, amen, amen.